So we, we've been traveling through this story. It's really the story that Mark wrote down about Jesus. And we've really been focused on the final week of Jesus' life. And we kind of reached a place where Jesus, in this conflict that we'll talk about in a moment, says to the scribe, you're not far. You're really close to the kingdom of God. So that's what I want us to explore today. Being close, not far from the kingdom of God. I want to remind you that Jesus is at odds with the Sanhedrin. So Jesus is trying to push uh, humanity forward. I mean, the message of Jesus is, I've got something new and something better for the planet. And so as he's pushing humanity that way, the religious are saying, no, we, we don't want to let go of our tried and true traditions. So they're pushing back. So one is pushing forward, the other is pushing back. And the Sanhedrin, what I, this is just, again, just this, I think, an amazing fact. They are the epicenter of both the civic and religious authority of Israel. Rome, Rome allowed them to do that. So Rome is in the shadows. I mean, Rome would be quick. I mean, the Roman guard looks in over the temple. So, I mean, they're going to be quick to respond if the Sanhedrin does a bad job in their civil and religious responsibilities with the population of Israel. But as long as they're doing a good job, Rome's in the background. So you're, you're having this battle between Jesus and the epicenter of authority in Israel with Rome in the background. And the Sanhedrin is this combination of Pharisee and Sadducee and, and others, uh, scribes and wealthy people that are 70 people that are really, they're the power source, civilly and religiously. And this, there's really just, it's a question of authority. I mean, when, when Jesus, he cleanses out the temple and, and he quotes from the Old Testament, my, my father's house will be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of robbers. Well, it kind of upset the, this religious epicenter and civil epicenter and basically said, who, who, who authorized you to do this? So again, there's this question, does this, this is authority that you have, is it coming up? through the human ranks, like are, you know, you're working your way up through the rabbinic schools, or is this an authority that comes down from the divine? Is, is this God's power, or is this human power? That's, that's really what this struggle is. And this, the silly Sanhedrin, in some ways, they just come up with this idea, well, you know, let's see if we can entrap him. Let's see if we can trick him into to answering some of our questions that will then get him in trouble. The very first one, let's get him in trouble with Rome. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? If Jesus would have said, no, it's not lawful, man, they would have had him. But he was wiser than that. So he didn't answer that way. Then you've got some Sadducees that come along. And they don't even believe about the resurrection. And they're asking a question about marriage, remarriage, and the afterlife. It's going, what's up with this? You don't even believe that. And then you've got, well, what's the greatest commandment? That comes from a scribe. That comes from these guys that poured their life into the study of the Hebrew Scriptures. So I, I, I'm just going to read you this reply. Remember this. 
the scribes replied to Jesus. The scribe said to him, you're right, Jesus. He, he literally says, Jesus, your words are beautiful, which is really a cool, cool statement. You've truly said that he is one. God is one. Besides him, there's no other. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important. To like God with everything that is within us, to like God, and then to like your neighbor. I mean, that's, that's better than, that's more than, that's greater than the whole sacrificial system. In the Old Covenant. That's, a, that's like an incredible statement. And Jesus said, he saw that he answered wisely. He said, that you're, not, you're not far. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, the Sanhedrin dared not to ask him another question. <laughs> so that, that's where we start kind of fresh. So the end of the Sanhedrin's questioning is now the beginning of Jesus' questions. He says, how can the scribes say? And since the scribe is close to the kingdom of God, what's it going to take? What, 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 what's the, what are the steps for that scribe to enter the kingdom? I think that's what Jesus is going to answer. So in Mark 12, 35 to 37. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. It pleased them to hear him say this. So look at that and tell me what's going on. It's the identity of Jesus, the identity of the Messiah... What what are the key words? Anybody? I don't I don't like to just tell you everything. You gotta have some discovery. Right? What's the tension? The Messiah is 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 Messiah son of David, meaning He's an earthly king. He's in the lineage of an earthly king, David. And then what does Jesus put in opposition to that? What's the tension? If David calls Jesus Lord, how can the Lord be David's son? Yeah, so if, but wait a minute. If he's an earthly king, why did David call him Lord? Big L, big O, big R, big D. You ever see that in your Bible? All caps? Yes, Adonai is a more respectful way to say that. It's okay. 
We just have, we just have one that could be offended by that. That's okay. Now, truthfully, I just, um, our, our Jewish friends will not say the personal name of God. Out of respect, do not take the Lord's name in vain. So therefore, whenever the scripture is read, whenever the four consonants appear, they will say Adonai instead of what evangelicals have just kind of blurred out, Yahweh. Uh, and I, I just think we should be sensitive to that. I think we should, be, we should be aware of that. And Adonai means Lord, Lord. So anyway, how, is, he, is he an earthly king or is he a heavenly king? I mean, what, how, how, that's what he's really asking. So I spent way too much time yesterday reading in a Jewish encyclopedia. But I just, I just, I, I want to know. Don't you want to know what was going through their minds? Don't you want to kind of like be there? So after all of that, I just found one paragraph that I think would be helpful, and I hope that it is. Not until the fall of the Maccabean dynasty when the despotic government of Herod the Great. Now, you, you recognize Herod the Great, right? Herod the Great is called the king of Israel. He's appointed by Rome. He's not, he's not appointed by anybody in Israel. And he's the one that the wise men came to and made the announcement, there's a king being born. Where is he? Remember that? So Herod the Great and his family, the increasing tyranny of the Roman Empire, made their condition even more unbearable that the Jews seek refuge in the hope of a personal Messiah. Again, reread that. It's not until the end of the B.C.s. It's not until like the hundreds B.C. that within Judaism they begin to talk about the possibility of a personal Messiah. Now, I would think for most of us, we think, wait wait a minute. They've had a hope of Messiah their whole history. No, they haven't. The word Messiah doesn't appear at the beginning of the Old Testament. The idea is there, but not the literal word, Mashiach. Isn't it? Again, we don't want to lay on them what we think. We're trying to discover what was going on. So, they finally, under these pressures, they begin to hope for a personal Messiah. They yearned for the promised deliverer of the house of David, who would free them from the yoke of the hated foreign usurper, that would be Rome. Before that would be Greek. Before that would be Persian. <laughs> I mean, they have this long history of the foreign usurper. Would put them in the end of the impious Roman rule and would establish his own reign of peace and justice in its place. In this way, their hopes became gradually centered in Messiah. So again, just look at it as God's timing. And God positioned people to begin to think and long for a personal Messiah when he sent Jesus the Messiah. That's pretty incredible. But what they debated and what the rabbis rebended, they just, they, is this Messiah, is he going to be an earthly king or is he going to be a pre-existent heavenly Messiah? Is he going to be human or is he going to be dis- d- divine? Now, from what you know about Judaism, what did they decide? I heard that mumble. I could not quite, just, I could not get it. No, that Judaism decided that it would be an earthly king. And so if you, if you read Jewish eschatology, they're looking for an earthly king. That will get them out of... So like, that meant 
<laughs> well, well, let's talk about that later. <laughs> you got, see, you've got to have the reestablishment of the monarchy or the theocracy. That's the, right, again, that, put that through your, you got to think about that. Do you think about that? I mean, the promises are made, which don't have to do with the... I mean, I love democracy, but the promises in the Bible are not about a democracy in Israel. They're about the reestablishment of the monarchy or the theocracy of David, which we don't have. Anyway, leave that aside. So is Messiah going to be earthly, son of David, or is he going to be heavenly? Well, the answer that Jesus would give to the scribe and to anyone else, including us, is that to enter the kingdom of God, the scribe needed to enter into a greater revelation. Re- don't, again, revelation is just disclosure. It's God making known to us what we could not discover on our own. That's what revelation means. The Messiah is both human, son of David, and fully divine, the Lord. That's what Israel could not quite get together. Jesus is both. Fully human, fully fulfills the lineage of David, and fully divine, all at the same time. And if the scribe's going to enter into God's rule, his kingdom that's come, it's so near you can enter it, you've got, to, you've got revelation has to come. Well, it doesn't stop there. Mark 12, 38 to 40. As Jesus taught, he said, beware of the scribes. Who like to walk around in log robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now, as Jesus is kind of, kind of going down this, this litany, this list of who the scribes are, was there anything dissident in that list? What would you expect to be on that list? And what is unexpected? Are you all just this reflective today or what? What would, you, what would you expect from a religious scribe in the day of Jesus? I'd expect a long robe, wouldn't you? Okay. Long robe, what else? They want to be respected. You know, we want the best seats. Okay. Would you expect them to say long prayers? Yeah. So you're going down, okay, I expect that. Well, what's the dissidence? What? <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, Jesus is a master, isn't he? He just kind of slides that one right in there. <laughs> so what's going on with that? Well, they're wearing long robes. And again, remember that the kingdom of God turns everything upside down and backwards. So he's depressing the long robes. The public recognition, the seats of honors, the long prayers for appearance. He's, he's depressing that because you're just, you're just serving yourselves. You're just people pleasing. But what he's elevating, hey, 
You, you're devouring widows' houses. That means you're, you're illegally appropriating the property of the poor. You're getting rich off of the demise of the poor. And, and he just slides it right in as if, in their mind, it's just normal. That's just normal. We wear long robes. We, we pray long prayers. We demand respect in the marketplace. We get the seats of honor, and we just devour widows' houses. So Jesus is saying to the scribe, hey, you want to enter the kingdom of God? You're so close. Well, you're going to need a greater accountability. That, that accountability is going to expose your people-pleasing religion and the mercilessness of your faith. Blind to taking advantage of the poor. There's a third one, Mark 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in sums of money. I don't know what the treasury was made out of, but I'm going to guess it's probably made out of some kind of metal. And they're dumping copper coins in. Ching, 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 ching. I mean, and they're loving it because... Chink, 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 chink. Notice, chink, 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 chink. A poor widow came and she put in two small copper coins. It's a different coin than the one that's previously mentioned. It's an even smaller little coin. Which are worth a penny. They're worth less than a penny. They're like, you'd almost say they're just worthless. And then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. Can can I read that again? Truly this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So again, the kingdom is is moving down the, the rung of what's important. The many wealthy contributors, the many large copper coins that make a lot of money that people notice that I'm really a generous person. Given from abundance. It doesn't hurt me at all to give that much. Jesus is devaluing that. And what he's elevating is one poor widow. Two very insignificant, almost worthless coins that make no noise into the treasury. Given from her deficiency. That's the greater gift. The greater gift comes from one poor widow giving her whole means of subsistence from her deficiency. Another way of saying that is she gave away all the money that she had. 
rather than going to buy whatever those two small cents could buy to survive a little bit of wine or oil or bread, she deposited it in the treasury. And that gift was greater than the sum of many wealthy contributors giving lots of money from their abundance. It's not a mistake that the scribe devours the widow's property and it's the widow that's giving the small gift. To enter the kingdom of God, the scribe needed to give a greater gift given from a place of utter dependency on the king, his provider. So Jesus really wanted people to enter the kingdom. He wanted people to come into the benefit of living in a relationship of liking God, loving God, and really enjoying his rule over their lives. Subscribe. You're close, but you you need a greater revelation. You need a greater accountability, and you need a greater gift if you're going to enter. Now, for you and me, we can learn something really important from that scribe. You know, we, we have committed ourselves. We want to be people that are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And in order to do that, we've got to remove each and every and all hindrance that keeps us from entering the kingdom of God. Us entering the kingdom of God was really, really, really of great importance to Jesus. That's where he wants us to live today. And as you, as you kind of read this account, that there are some things that can hinder, hinder, just hinder us from taking that step forward to really live under of the rule of God, where God really is reigning in our lives. And so that's this moment to say, Holy Spirit, come. Because just as the scribe was blind to some things, we, we can get there too. So Holy Spirit, come. Show us the complete revelation of Jesus, our King. You know, how do we put these two truths together and how do we communicate that that mystery to others? Jesus is fully human, Son of God, fully divine, the Lord. That's a really important belief. Has God made that known? Has the Holy Spirit made that known to you that this is truth? And can the Holy Spirit empower us in some way that we're communicating to the people around us, this is who Jesus is? Because we, we, you know, we go back and forth. Like he's fully human, then he's fully divine. And we just kind of do, but we, it's really hard to find the sweet spot where he's both all at the same time. And that's who he is. That's the revelation of who he is. So somehow we've got to come into that revelation. Come, Holy Spirit. Let us see that. And then empower us, Holy Spirit, to communicate that to our generation. The other is, Holy Spirit, show us our blind spots and our righteous ways of living. I mean, we're not immune to being people 
that do things for the benefit of others approving us. You know, we, we all have this people-pleasing thing. <laughs> and sadly, when we're together in a community of people, that thing can get going. And so we start doing what we do to please others. And Paul makes it really clear. It's impossible to be a servant of God and please people. It's impossible. You can't do it. They don't, you can't do it. So when people are serving on our work, you know, have a, you know, an incredible worship set like we had today. It may, you know, it may be like, maybe like really great, but what's going on in the heart of all of those on our worship team? Are they doing this so that we're all going to go, hey, y'all are really great? Are people yearning for that or not? Because that can happen. So we have to check ourselves. Am I doing this because I need people's approval? Or am I doing this because I love God? He's directing me to do it. Also, sadly, where does judgment begin to take the place of mercy? I mean, the Bible makes it absolutely clear. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But we can turn that thing around. Judgment is better than mercy. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Well, we can make that the harshness, the judgment of God. Somehow, there's some way within our faith. And maybe it's our connection with Judaism. Because we're not disconnected. <laughs> the same traps that these religious people had are traps we fall into. So when, so when the voice of the church becomes the condemning, judgmental voice, we have lost sight of the mercy of God. And so we've got, I mean, we've just got, hey, God, Holy Spirit, where is, where is judgment beginning to overshadow mercy? We all need to ask that question. Finally, coming back to money, you know, show us. Show us how to give money from a place of utter dependency on our King Jesus, who's the provider. I mean, I'm really grateful to have a job. I like to work. But ultimately, is, the, is it my liking to work and my job? Is that ultimately what provides for me? The answer is no. Those are gifts given from God. And I want to thank him for that. But my provision comes from heaven above. It's not, it's not my work. It's a gift. And I want to steward it well. I want to be a good worker. And I want to do a good job. But I want to recognize that the money that provides for my family is ultimately coming from God. And I don't think that's an easy thing to get to. And then I think, again, what I said with passing the basket, how, how can we give out of a deficiency as the widow did when we live with such great abundance? I mean, I've lived in abundance my whole life. So it's how do I, how do I position my heart to be at a place of deficiency? Of poverty. When I've never been there. So that what is coming from me and giving. Again is this 
I'm recognizing that you're my provider. And without your provision, I have nothing. I feel like those are the ways that the Holy Spirit can change us from the inside out. So that we're living in the kingdom. Not, we're not, not just waiting for it. Yeah, the fullness will come later, but it's, it's a now thing. Living under the benefits of the king begins now. So would you like to stand with me? Can I just kind of pray these prayers over us?